We're going to look at the scriptures together this morning as we consider what the Bible has to say about our future. Uh, it's one of the things that's most compelling to us. It creates our curiosity like few other things. And the scripture is really clear on some things and super fuzzy on some others. And I will try to be very honest and clear myself when we think this is clear in the scriptures and other times where we go, ah, we're not sure this is how we think it's going to go down. So two weeks ago, I gave you kind of an overview if you weren't here. The future as we understand it unfolded in the scriptures, it will be according to four major events that will lead to four major time periods. Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit began what we understand and describe as the church age. That's where we are living right now. In the time where Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There will be a time in the future. This is what you and I are waiting for as the people of God, where Jesus will return in the clouds and we will meet him in the air in what is described as the rapture when we are caught up with him. The rapture will bring in the tribulation, the time of hell on earth, which will end when Christ comes not in the clouds and not by himself, but he and us will return with him to planet earth to begin a thousand year reign of Christ and his saints on this earth. The millennium, that thousand year Rain will end with the battle of what is described as Gog and Magog. We'll get there. Uh, Gog and Magog, which will bring the end of this earth and the final judgment, the great white throne judgment, where all who have ever lived and whose names have not been written in the book of life will be judged according to their works. And because they will be judged according to their works, they will be deserving of the wrath of God. There will be no sacrifice sufficient for them and they will be cast into hell forever and those who have trusted in Jesus as we just heard from the Olsons those who have been trusted in Jesus will spend eternity in heaven that that's the big picture that's what we believe. Not everybody sees it this way. This is what we believe is going to happen as the future unfolds. To the question of when's it going to happen, what did Jesus say? <laughs> You've captured this, and I appreciate that. If you missed it, he said, when the disciples asked, when, Lord? He said, it's not for you to know. Times or epics, dates, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but, and so he turns the focus from when to but you know what comes next? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's talking about Pentecost, that which we have experienced in the church age. And you shall be my witnesses where you are in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So friends, we have said all along we're going to ask the question of what's the scripture say? And then ask the question, so what? What and so what? And the core so what to every question about the future is, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's not get lost in our curiosity. Let's have urgency for the sake of being witnesses, of sharing the hope that we have in Jesus. So a specific application before we jump into the text to that is... Uh, to go and share the gospel, not just locally in your neighborhood or where you work, but to go and share the gospel globally. We have two short-term trips coming up this late spring, summer, one to South Asia, one to Albania. And if you'd like to learn more about those, there'll be representatives out in the courtyard for each of those trips. Some of you have immediately thought, not me. <laughs> don't, quick, don't, don't decide too quickly. If you have never participated in a trip of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, it might be something you would consider doing. Uh, 
Would it be scary? Probably. Would you experience God? Certainly. And here will be the great reward of it. Not only will people who have not heard the gospel hear the gospel, you'll experience the Lord personally in ways you have not before. And that experiencing of the faithfulness of God in time of need, strengthening you when you need it, will be a gift to you in all your days going forward after you come home. So don't be too quick to say, well, that's for somebody else. At least ask the Lord, Lord, would you want me to be a part of receiving the power of the Spirit and going and sharing the gospel globally in these two trips? All right, so back to what we're looking at, what the Scripture says. This is what we looked at last week, meeting Christ in the clouds. So that puts us in our study this morning of the tribulation. It's going to be hard and heavy this morning, but we'll end with hope. So don't run out of oxygen before we, we get to the end. But it's going to be hard as we look, and this will be the message memo that we look to fill in if you'd like to take notes. We're, Again, it's the, the tribulation is bookended with when we meet him in the air and then we return with him to planet Earth in the, at the, the second coming. So we want to look at this period of time. The scripture, the best we understand it, is this is a seven-year period of time where God's wrath is poured out on Earth. And here's what I'd like us to do. <clears throat> I'd like us to take our Bibles, whether you have a hard copy like this or you have it on your phone, turn with me to the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible, and I want us to look together at how this unfolds. We are going to read a lot of scripture this morning because after you read it, you'll go, I don't know that there's anything more to say other than, oh my. Chapter 1. In Revelation, it's John introducing us to this supernatural, God-given revelation for him. Chapter 2 and 3 are the letters to seven churches. It's what we understand to be his acknowledging that there is the church age. And then chapter 4 is a scene in heaven of worship. And again, by our understanding, this would be those who have been raptured, have met the Lord in the clouds, are now worshiping him. Chapter 4 ends with, oh, I got to tell you something first. (laughs) Chapter 6 through 18 is divided into three major parts of the wrath of God being poured out. It begins with seven seals being being unfolding as the wrath of God is poured out. Then there are seven trumpets, and then there are seven bowls. So this chapter 6 of Revelation through chapter 18 are best understood through the judgment of seven seals, then the judgment that are launched by the sounding of seven different trumpets, and then finally, and most fierce, the pouring out of the wrath of God from seven distinct bowls. So that's the big picture for Revelation. All right, I jumped the gun on that one. Now, to set the stage, there's worship in heaven, end of chapter four, if you're open there now, verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. So there is worship for the person and the work of God in heaven. Then chapter two, chapter five, excuse me, verse two, asks this question. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep 
greatly. This is the Apostle John saying, because no one could, I began to weep greatly. No one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Why? Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Who's the elder referring to? He is referring to that Jesus is the one and the only one who has authority to open the book and break the seals. He is the one and the only one who has the authority to begin this pouring out of God's wrath on earth. So here it begins in chapter 6. Now let me describe to you something before we read it all. It says, uh, break the seal. You might think of a scroll with a seal on it like this. Except this one has not one seal, but it has seven seals according to the scripture. And who has the authority and the only one who has authority to open it is Jesus. Now you may go, well, if it has seven seals, well, why are you only showing one? Because I would have always imagined, well, there'd be one, two, three, four, five, six. It's like really, really sealed. But it's not just, it's really, really, really sealed. Seven seals meaning that the first seal, which we're going to read about, is broken. And there is some unfolding of the wrath. And then what do you see? Another seal. See, we don't have anything like this, but it's almost like someone sends you a document digitally, but you only have the password to the first one, and then you need another password for the second one, and then another password. There's another seal that needs to be broken for the unfolding of the scroll, which brings about the wrath of God being poured out. So, Maybe that picture will help you. Chapter 6, verse 1 now. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with a voice of thunder, Come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. And that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. I looked. And behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do no damage, do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb, Jesus again, when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, 
How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who's able to stand? And that's just the beginning. The unfolding of the seals by the Lamb of God, of the wrath of God being poured out through conquering and war and famine and death and martyrs and terror. And there was a percentage given in this section with the seals of how much destruction upon with death. How much? One quarter. I didn't write it on here, but you might buy it right by the seven seals, one quarter. Now, you may be looking at this and noticing that, but you only read six seals. What about the seventh seal? The seventh seal actually has much in it because the seventh seal actually holds the next seven trumpets. See, it's... It's this one, and then the last one has not just one more thing, but seven more acts of the wrath of God being poured out. So now turn. I told you we're going to read a lot of scripture. Chapter 8, and we, we move to the seventh seal becoming what will be described as the seven trumpets. Why described as seven trumpets? Because it's described as when the trumpet is sounded, then something new and horrible begins. So the seventh seal, seventh seal is the seven trumpets. Chapter eight. When the lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Drop down to verse 7. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10. The third angel Sounded, And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. So the, 
The previous had been the oceans, the sea, the salt water. Now this, the third angel upon the fresh water. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. Chapter, one, uh, chapter nine, verse one now. <clears throat> then the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star from heaven which, was, which had fallen to the earth and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree. That's what they would normally go after, right? But only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. Drop down to verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates and the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. Verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. So the seven trumpets, again, like the seven seals, we see six, seven trumpets, fire, blood, poison, darkness, locusts, and death. Last time, it was a quarter. This time, it is one-third. A little overwhelming to think of all that's happening and then to read, they want to die, they can't die, but they refuse to, they refuse, did you see it? They refuse to repent, to turn from their ways. So the, the seventh trumpet will sound, which will unleash the seven bowls. But that actually doesn't happen until later in the book of Revelation because the next chapters, chapters 10 through 14, take an interlude from the pouring out of the wrath of God and they introduce the main characters that are happening during the tribulation. 
What we've already read, some of the characters that are introduced have already been active, so it's not chronological in that sense. It's just a pause in the action to do some, if you will, character development. In chapter 10 through 14, we're introduced to the two witnesses. One of the biggest questions that I'm always asked is this. In the tribulation, will there be opportunity for people to be saved? And the answer is 100% yes. We know that because what, some of what we just read described about those who had been killed because of their testimony during the tribulation. Well, if it's their testimony during the tribulation and all who had trusted in Jesus had been raptured prior to the tribulation beginning, then those are folks who came to Christ after the rapture in the tribulation. How? Three sources by which folks would come to Christ in the tribulation. The two witnesses. Uh, the scripture never defines clearly the identity of these two witnesses. Many would suggest they are resurrected Moses and Elijah because they come with great power and what the scripture describes as a supernatural protection upon them by which those who seek to resist them and want to kill them can't. For three and a half years, they serve as witnesses during the tribulation. Then they are killed. The beast, who we'll introduce, be introduced to in a moment, is able to kill them. And they are dead for three days and then raised from the dead. There are also 144,000 Jews who are referenced during the time of the tribulation. Those who place faith in Jesus. They certainly will be instruments through which others will believe in the Lord Jesus. And finally, though the church, the people of God will be raptured, I can imagine how many of these are left behind. And there will be a tremendous witness of the word of God. Maybe you have a Bible that you would think, wow, when I, if I'm alive, when Christ returns in the clouds and I'm raptured with him, that this Bible may be a source through which someone would read of the gift of God through Jesus that they might be born again. Now, are there going to be many, many, we just read it, who do not repent, who want to die but refuse to repent? Yes. There will be those who end up coming to Christ? I believe so. The two witnesses. Then we're introduced in this section <clears throat> to the dragon, who is Satan, who is obviously present long before we're introduced to him in chapter 12. That's why I'm saying this is just an interlude, if you will. Third, the Antichrist. And fourth, the false prophet. Those who will deceive and people will put their trust in them, but they will be the unholy trinity. After the introduction, if you will, of these four who will be at work in deceiving the nations during this time, we then return to, in chapter 16 through 18, the final, the pouring out of the bowls. You can imagine a bowl that is then holding the wrath of God, then it is being poured out. So 
Turn with me now to the pouring out of those bowls in Revelation 16. <clears throat> then I heard a loud voice, beginning in verse 1, from the temple, saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like blood, became blood-like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died." So we had gone from a quarter to a third to now everything. Verse 4, then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judge these things, for they poured out the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. I don't know what you think about that. But this is the justice of God that those who have suffered by their own blood have been waiting upon. And so, not in a mean-spirited way at all, in a God-glorifying way, they say they took our blood, now they will drink blood, and they deserve it. Verse 7, And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. This is right. Verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Drop down to verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done! And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones about 100 pounds each. You've seen golf ball size maybe. Hailstones about a hundred pounds each came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. And so we have sores, death, blood, fire, darkness, drought, and earthquake. This is the fierce, the most fierce, and so we get full seven balls. And you may go, I, I don't understand all that. Me either. Really. 
How, how am I going to understand all of that? I, I can tell you this. I've studied more for this message and no less than most messages I've ever studied for. But let's not get lost in that which is exceedingly clear. The coming judgment of God is certain and severe. It's certain. We'll look at the scripture coming up. In the coming weeks where people go, oh, come on. You always say the judgment of God's coming. It's not, it's not coming. It's just threats. Where is it? Nothing ever really changes. And there is a time when it's coming. It's certain and it's severe. When could this begin? It's not for us to know, but when could it begin? Today. Last night I'm in Savannah for a wedding, and I was just struck with it's so easy to get comfortable with the way life is and the way life has always been. And we read this stuff like we just read. And maybe as you read it, it felt so foreign that because it's so foreign, you think it's just so far. And it was a sobering reminder for me to, in the midst of a wedding reception with music and laughing and joy, that at any moment, things could dramatically change. The smallest example was a Tuesday morning called 9-11 where kind of our world changed in a way that it's never returned. And that is, you know what I mean by the smallest compared to what we just read. But that's what came to my mind. I've experienced something where you got up like it was any other day and then it wasn't any other day. You see, it is until it isn't. And there's going to be a moment where everything that we've kind of known and become accustomed to is going to change. And the coming judgment that has been on hold is going to begin when the Lamb who has called his church home breaks the first seal. And once he breaks the first seal, the wrath will progressively be poured out. <laughs> I promised you some hope. And you're like, uh, where is it? <laughs> Did you notice I skipped some chapters? Because <clears throat> one of the joyful moments for me in this study was the recognition that throughout Revelation 6 through 18, with all hell being poured out on earth, there are actually moments of worship. And they're not just random. What we see is after the seven seals, in Revelation chapter 7, we get a scene that leaves earth and describes worship in heaven. Dramatically different. Then, after the seven trumpets of fire, blood, poison, darkness, locust, death, and the characters of the two witnesses, the dragon, the antichrist, the false prophet, as they deceive the nations in chapter 15... Again, we leave earth and we get a scene of worship and heaven. And then the seven bowls of the fierce wrath of God are poured out. And then prior to just before the second coming in the second half of Revelation 19, you get the first half of Revelation 19 a third scene in heaven of worship. 
I don't think that's random. Now, let me give you a little freedom here. I was struck. Oh, judgment, worship, judgment, worship, judgment, worship. Why is it laid out that way? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us why it's laid out that way. So we have a little room to ask, Lord, why'd you lay it out this way? And you may have a better answer than I have right now. But here's what stood to me clearly in the scripture. For every person, every person listening right now, listen, for every one of you, your future holds one of two things, wrath or worship. Either your future holds the wrath of God being poured out upon you or your future holds worship of the Lamb in heaven. And so even as he unfolds this horrible hell on earth called the tribulation, we're reminded of the grace of God. Because who of us deserve the wrath of God? God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, deserving of his wrath, Christ died for us. Much more. Having been justified by his blood, we will escape the wrath of God. All of us deserve wrath. But there will be those who do not experience wrath and worship. And it's not complicated. This is the so what, folks. Repent and believe in Jesus. All of us deserve wrath. For those who will repent and believe in Jesus, there will be escaping of the wrath of God and there will be the complete polar opposite of the wrath of God and that is the worship of God. And it all depends simply on what? What we do with Jesus. I want you to think back to the Olsons, the, the married couple who just shared their testimony before the message. She said she was 27 years old before she heard that salvation is by grace. Did you hear that? That it's not by our works. Some of you need to hear that right now. You will not be saved according to your works. You deserve wrath because of your works. You will never be good enough. You and I can only be saved by believing in what Jesus has done on our behalf. So repent. What's that word mean? Change your mind. Change your mind that you don't need Jesus. Change your mind that you're good enough. Change your mind that this is something far off that you're never going to have to deal with. Change your mind and believe in Jesus. That's the so what. That you would not be the ones, if he comes in your lifetime, who would gnaw on their tongues and want to die and can't. It's horrible. More horrible than I can imagine. Because all we did was read words. But there is hope that you can escape the wrath and engage in worship. If you trusted in Jesus, if you have, here's what I want us to end with. <clears throat> if you have, those chapters record for us 
a portion of that which we'll declare in heaven. And so how I want us to close is this, is I'm going to read for us what I would simply describe as some of the songs of heaven. And I'm going to read sections that describe the situation. And then when we get to parts where it says we're going to sing or we're going to declare, the font's going to turn to yellow, and that means you're going to join with me. (laughs) And with a sense of absolute gratitude that you have been given the opportunity to worship instead of experience wrath, I hope you'll join with me loudly, joyfully, with one accord. As a little bit of a, a little bit of a taste of heaven, because it's going to be bigger than us. North, you'll be included. On, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be every tongue and tribe and people. It's going to be loud. How loud? As bad as the hell on earth will be as great as the worship in heaven. So stand with me, and I'm going to read for us, and you're going to join me with what we declare, except for one section. In chapter 15, it will be the voices of those who came to Christ and died as martyrs in the tribulation. Well, I'll read that for us. And you just think about their worship and what's coming out of their mouth. After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. They cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they, this is the tribulation martyrs, they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And after these things, I heard something like a cloud, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Hallelujah, for the Lord, our God, the Almighty, reigns. Hallelujah.
taste right um, but it is the power of the gospel to say for all who we believe uh, so don't wait uh, we want to be we want you if you have not placed faith in Jesus we want you to be with us as we sing and we sing like that um, for our Savior so if we can talk with you uh, have a conversation with you we would love to do that we would like you not to leave with questions but if we can answer questions for you we'd love to do that if we can pray for you we have men and women who are available between the auditoriums uh, who are there uh, for that purpose, to pray with you individually. So I hope you'll do that. Um, and I hope you'll be blessed the rest of the day. And we'll see you next time. Good morning.